0: DJ and PK, it's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. We are brought to you in part by Mark Miller. DJ and, the PK, DJ and PK in the morning brought to you by Mark Miller Subaru. Time to welcome in Dan Devine, NBA writer for The Ringer. Dan, good morning.
1: Good morning. And, you know, i got to go behind the scenes a little bit and just give some shout-outs to you. Dandy Warhol's off the, off the rip there, Bohemian like you. I am a Dandy, so I feel like I see the vibes, I get where it's going, and I'm already in a good mood as we start this off. Uh, thanks to you for that.
0: There it is. Yach gets all the credit. Yach, you get all the blame usually. You might as well take all the credit right now. What the heck. All right. Uh, Dan, you know when you're coming on the radio in Utah, you know the first thing you're going to get hit with. We got... Our fan base here is probably in a couple groups. You got one group that's looking at the jazz, thinking, Sweet, it's finally happening. This is going to be the year. And you got another part of the fan base, This is awesome. They look great, but I don't want to get ahead of myself and then have to deal with a ton of disappointment. Advice is one of these fan bases more on one portion of this fan base more on target than the other? What do you think watching the jazz?
1: All right, I, I I am generally of the idea, especially now in in the world as it exists, that you should be finding and grabbing hold of joy where it exists, and just like sucking the marrow out of it, man, enjoy it while it's here. And if you are not having that experience watching the Jazz night in and night out, I, I suggest you check your pulse. This is about as so teams don't get this good that often. Um, yeah, I, I forget the uh, I haven't looked at the numbers in a couple of days, but the last I had checked their their net rating you know how many points they outscore uh, opponents by per 100 possessions it was like year 1 kd warriors stuff like this is history, they have been a historically good team so far so Maybe, maybe matchups will be, will, will be an issue in the in the postseason. You still have to wonder who's guarding the big wings like LeBron and Kawhi in a series, all that kind of stuff. There are you know, concerns. There's things to be, to, there are ways where you can look at the sky and see dark clouds, but you have to look through an awful lot of sunshine to do that. And my recommendation would be don't look so hard for the thing to, not, to, to, to get worried about when you are the thing that everybody else is worrying about right now.
2: I'd agree with all that. There seems to be a little bit of skepticism as far as what they can do in the postseason. How much do you think that is stemming from the fact that they've been knocked out of the first round the last couple years?
1: I think it's a lot of it, you know. But, I mean, there's also a component that's, you know, you can't do it until it's done, right? Like, nobody thought the Warriors were were going to win the title in their their first year together. Uh, Nobody thought the Raptors were going to win the title until they did it. Like, all of these stories are impossible until they are history, right? So uh, I I think a lot of it, there there are reasons to uh, look at it and say, well, that could be a concern in a playoff matchup. I mean, to me, the number one thing is just, uh, even even more so than the who else creates a shot in the in the the, the dying minutes of a game besides Donovan Mitchell, which I think is, you know that's a real concern that we've seen borne out in playoff series. Um, you know it, it came back to bite the Jazz in the uh, against the Nuggets in the in the bubble. Um, but I think bigger than that is just, is the you know how do you match up defensively when you've got to try to figure out who's going to stop. Uh, you know, say, both Kawhi and Paul George in a series or LeBron and Anthony Davis in a series because the Jazz don't really have the individual like-for-like like defenders to match up with those guys, which, in fairness, hardly anybody does. That's why it's really hard to get those guys and why you know those, those teams that have them are, tend to be considered super teams. But um, I think I, I don't know how you can... There's it, 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 a certain aspect of it that's like the Bucks in the East where it's like we know that the, the, what they're doing has worked in the regular season. We know why it's working. We can see it all in front of us and there's, no, there's only so much we're going to be able to learn before the playoffs, I guess my only response to that would just be, I think we've seen the Jazz be a little more willing to adjust and adapt uh, to matchups to tendencies and situations in the playoffs than we have with Milwaukee in the last couple of years, and that would give me hope that you know, Quinn Snyder and that coaching staff would be a little more um, malleable, a little more willing to, uh, you know, to try to figure or able to figure things out on the fly and you know engineer some solutions if they see some problems. But uh, I mean, I, I think that it, it's real. The postseason right resume is what it is. But this version of this team is a different team, I think, than the ones that we've seen before. Uh, just by you know, it's an order of magnitude different.
0: Dan Devine joining us, NBA writer for the Ringer. So let's dive into that a little more. How are the Jazz different than the team? that got knocked out last year. I think we know how they're different two years ago. (laughs) There's been so much personnel turnover in two years, but why now? Why have they taken off
1: like this? Well, I think it's a couple of things. I think you've seen sort of, you've been able to kind of cut and paste together the best versions of the team you saw last year into one cohesive whole. So, You've got Donovan Mitchell. Is you know, it, it's not like he, he hasn't taken like a stratospheric leap over where he was last year, but he's better than he was last year. Rudy Gobert has been as good as ever. Um, you've also got the version of Mike Conley that wasn't the one that struggled for the first you know two or three months of last season, but was the guy who from when he came back from his injury and through the bubble looked pretty darn good and was kind of exactly what they had hoped. They like the Mike Conley they traded for is the guy that you've gotten when he's been on the court this season. Um, I personally felt like he deserved an All Star spot. I thought the Jazz. You know, I would have not blinked an eye if the Jazz had gotten three. But, um, you know, other people I, you know, have different opinions. I understand that. The, 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 the statistics don't leap off the page with Conley, but I think the impact does. Um, you're getting that along with, now, Boyan Bogdanovich, who was not in the bubble because of the wrist injury. Um, he's, you know, it took him some time to get going, but he's going again. Joe Engels now, it's, you know, the, the, the frustration and the struggle of, uh, how is he going to adjust when he would move, move back to the bench? And, you know, what are the lineup situations look like last season? He's now back in a comfortable role, and he's playing great. Derek Favors is back, so all of a sudden those Rudy Gobert minutes where he was on the bench and the Jazz were getting killed, now that's no longer the case. And you have another guy who knows the system and knows how to contribute, already has that fantastic chemistry with Ingles in the second unit. Um, and you're getting you know Jordan Clarkson hasn't turned back into a pumpkin, right? Like, there was a big question about, Was his shooting last season just a contract year outlier? And so far it looks like not only is that not true, but that Jordan Clarkson might be the best, you know, reserve scorer in the league, front runner for six man of the year. So you're getting like all of these things together plus. Contributions from you know Royce O'Neill so continues to be better than anybody anticipated he would be uh, you know George Niang the second unit guys like there's just there really aren't weak points and you're getting sort of the best game from everybody it seems like every time out so I think you add all that stuff together and it's like a little advantage and a little advantage you add them all together and it becomes a massive advantage and they just come at you in waves I think it's a different level of what. It's sort of the idealized version of what this jazz team could be. And I think that you're seeing it so regularly is a testament to an awful lot of people doing an awful lot right.
2: I'm from uh, New Jersey, so I tend to look at things negatively.
1: uh, (laughs) I respect it. I'm from Brooklyn, man. I get it.
2: (laughs) Yeah, my grandmother lived in Brooklyn. Uh, when I was a kid, and we lived in North Jersey. And so, uh, you know, I, I'm a half-empty guy. It's the way Jersey people are. Uh, but as I look at the Jazz, and we were just talking about this earlier, one of the things that I think bodes well in their favor when they get to the postseason, and that's when a lot of the naysayers are expecting them to fall, is that in order for them to lose, it's not an NCA situation where it's a one and dunner They're going to have to be off four times offensively, and I know it's, quite a, it's a backdoor way of looking at it, but I'm not sure that they're going to have a collection of guys all together be off for four games. How do you respond to that?
1: Yeah, I think that's a, that, that's a really uh, comparatively healthy way to look at it, you know, from, from my fellow Northeast Depressed guy. Um, I think that it's it's the right idea. It's not just that there's one guy who can create something anymore if you have – also, Conley is healthy and, and, and sort of flowing, and you have Clarkson, the way he's been able to play, and Ingles is there, and then also Bogdanovich is somebody who can create a shot. Like Where, we, where you got to in the bubble, where you have gotten to in certain different uh, see, in playoff series in the last handful of seasons, um, is where there really weren't any, there wasn't anybody else you could throw the ball to who could make something happen. Now, are any of those individual talents... Uh, on the same level as some of the other superstars that you're going to be, you know, you probably have to go through in the West? Probably not. I mean, I, the, your best chance is probably Mitchell having another sort of out-of-body experience like he did in the bubble. I think the fact that we saw that means you can't rule it out. But if you get something, you know, lesser than that, but, you know, on that, on that order, plus every, you know, everybody else, you know, is at least operational and able to do, you know, to to play their role in this offensive system. I think it's it's you know it's like a a, a a dam springing leaks, right? You put you plug up one, and it's gonna the water's gonna come out someplace else. I think that's uh, whether that is something that can overwhelm a you know signature individual superstar four times in seven games. Is I mean that's a, that is kind of the question at the heart of all of this, and it's one of the most fascinating questions about team building in the modern age. But I think if nothing else, the way that this front office has built this, this team and built this roster gives you an opportunity because it's not just uh, feast or famine with one guy. It's, there is a system that, that, that allows other people to sort of be stars in their roles and elevate when, when the time's right.
0: So I'm curious how many legit title contenders you think there are in the NBA. I'm tempted to go with the number four and dismiss Philly and look at the Nets, the Clippers, and the Lakers. And I think everyone notices, hey, that's three teams in the two biggest markets. Hey, those are all super teams. They all went out and used free agency and either tampering or leverage trades. Maybe I should give the Clippers a pass. But the Nets and Lakers certainly did to add all-stars to Hall of Famers. And if that's the only model going forward— that seems like a horrible model for the nba because at least two-thirds of the league maybe three-quarters but at least two-thirds of the league they're not signing a free agent hall of famer and then having all-stars leverage their way there
1: yeah i think there's something to be said for having more than one way to skin a cat right if, if the if the they're there there, there are bigger conversations here. It's, you know, there's the on-court uh, version of this, too, right, where suddenly everybody plays like the Rockets, right, where the idea is, and, and the Jets to some degree, too, right? It, it's we're going to bomb away from three, we're going to put, you know, uh, you know, four and five out lineups out there, and we're going to stretch you and, and just split you apart. And so then everybody starts playing the same way, and it's well—is the league too sort of homogenous in that regard? Is the style—is the—is there not enough diversity in style? Um, and then you know you sort of pull that back to player movement and to team, you know, team building and roster construction. And the, the you know the Nets are kind of a fascinating example there because they they went all in with the Kevin Garnett uh, Paul Pierce trade a million years ago. It completely tanked. Uh, they strip mined their asset base and their draft capital, and had to build from nothing and, and sell that. Like we're building a culture and we're creating something. They did that. They get back to the playoffs under Kenny Atkinson. Then the first chance they get, they throw all that in to go get superstars, and they kind of uh, you know completely overhaul what they had built because that's the way to to win a championship. From I mean, from my perspective, I think the. It, there, there's something to be said for uh, teams where that you know, it doesn't work out quite that way. Like there was the obviously the the, the Mavs uh, with Dirk in 2011. There's the Raptors a couple of years ago where yes they made the trade for Kawhi, but that was about the the uh, all of the, the infrastructure they built over the course of a handful of years. I think having teams be able to do that and get to the top of the mountain. It, it i think it introduces more hope it introduces more difference and it it creates an opportunity where you can say as a fan base like all right we don't you know, we're not going to be able to sell you know perfect weather and hollywood or you know you know the 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 draw of madison avenue media markets or whatever but if we build something the right way and we you know we sort of catch lightning in a bottle we can do it it might not be every year the big markets are always going to have uh, a, a certain advantage in that capacity because guys get, get to choose where they want to play but um, it doesn't have to happen every year. It just kind of to, has to happen once. And, I feel like they, and the Jazz, from what we've seen so far, are the kind of team it can happen for. You still need a lot to go right, but they've put themselves in position with all the moves that they've made, the way that they've developed their talent, the synergies in their lineup, all that sort of stuff. They've put themselves in position to be the kind of team that can be that one that gets it right.
2: Do you think we'll see some moves here at the trade deadline that could really shake things up?
1: Oh man, I, 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 um, I like uh, that's one of the things that I'm going to be looking at probably the next couple of weeks uh, as I figure out writing assignments because I, I did a, a couple of weeks ago a trade season primer and one of the most challenging things was my editor was like, all right, so who's going to be a buyer and who's going to be a seller and I was kind of like, man, heck if I know, you, like half the league is within three games of 500, a week away from being a title contender or a week away from being in the running for the number one pick. There's just such a congestion in the middle of the uh, of the the league that. I think any team can be able to sell itself on any story it you know it wants to tell about itself. So that really makes it hard to figure out who's selling. I mean, even a team you know, San Antonio, a team that obviously the Jazz have, have a lot of familiarity with. Um, you know, they're they've been better than people expected. They are uh, above 500. They're in the Western playoff bracket as it stands. And then the rumblings are, yeah, they're they're kicking the tires and seeing what people might uh, be interested in in ponying up for DeMar DeRozan or LaMarcus Aldridge. And it's like, well. All right, so if that team was going to be a six seed, but they're saying we think we'll, you know, we're at least going to explore the market, you know, extrapolate that to everybody, you know, any of these teams that are like within a couple of games of 500 and have something worth selling, um, you know, it may at least be who's to check out the market on it. But I don't know that you're going to see any more huge names. I think probably Harden was the last big name that's going to move for a little bit, um, but there could certainly be players that are, you know. Uh, the, for players who could make differences for other teams, even if it's like lower wattage names. Um, you know, the, you're, so you're going to start to hear a lot more talk about Thaddeus Young out of Chicago, which is like not blowing anybody's hair back, but a good player that's on a team that's sort of in that middle middle ground that people are trying to figure out: are, are the Bulls going to buy or sell, and if so, what are they going to get? I think there's a, a, a lot of clarity still to come on that over the next couple of weeks. Um, I wouldn't expect huge, huge moves because there's a lot of teams that have encumbered their draft picks, like the Jazz did over uh, in the Mike Conley and there's a lot of sort of heavyweight teams that have moved draft picks and can't make more big trades like that. But, um, you know, there's always, there's always talk, there's always discussion, and there's always something that happens, even if it's not like marquee, marquee names.
0: It looks like the Jazz and then the Clippers and Lakers, because they got Kawhi and they got LeBron. And so it's three in the West, in which case if you're first, it seems like a much easier second round. But now you got the Suns who are putting together a record that looks a little more like the top three than it does that you know congested next six or eight teams that you were talking about. Do you think the Suns really belong in the top three? Are the Jazz destined for a difficult second-round matchup no matter what? Or do you think the Suns are going to fall back into the middle group and there is going to be a reward for being the one seed in the West?
1: I mean, I think the, the reward for the one seed in being the West is you miss the – You know, the, the LA teams until the conference finals. And that is a sizable reward, I think. Um, you know, but the reality is, yeah, Phoenix has been great. I think a lot of people, I was, I was somebody who liked their chances of being a playoff team just coming out of the bubble even before they made the Chris Paul trade. So then they make that deal and you say, all right, yeah, they're going to, like, they're, it's just, they're going to be a better, more organized team. They're going to be a defensive team, a team that plays well on defense. They're going to be a good team in crunch time. All those sorts of things. The things that come with Chris Paul. And they're going to be in, a, in the mix for a playoff breath because the underlying talent was better in Phoenix than it was in Oklahoma City, and he got that team to like 48 wins in the playoffs. So uh, I think that they are they are for real until proven otherwise. Um, I think so. Seeing them in the second round would not be a whole lot of fun. But the reality is because of, the, uh, of how how tightly compacted everything is, you look at the rest of the teams on that list. Yeah, San Antonio probably doesn't strike fear into your heart at number six, but Portland means that you have got to deal with Dame Lillard, you know, a handful of times. And one of the areas in which the Jazz Uh, Can have some some vulnerabilities is with high scoring point guards that can break guys down off the dribble. You know, Royce O'Neal is a great perimeter defender, but is you know are Mike Conley or Donovan Mitchell up to that task with the offensive responsibilities they have as well is something to keep an eye on. And, you know, you go down the, road, the list a little bit, Golden State, exactly the same situation. You know, the Jazz know how that story goes and have had, have had their, their challenges in the past. Now, this is a different Warriors team than the one that, that Utah saw in the, in the playoffs before, but still, you've got to see Stephen Curry. You don't feel great about that over the course of two weeks. Denver with Nikola Jokic, who's playing at, you know, an MVP level this season. Well, obviously, there was the story of uh, you know, the, the issue with them in the, in the postseason last year. Denver hasn't looked quite that good, but on and on you go. I think it's just the nature of the Western Conference that it's like a you know you shake them up and the, the, it's like a snow globe you shake it up and then things can fall down in different directions and different orders of seating. But um, you're probably not going to get an easy look no matter what. Even though I mean that all that said though, that it, it'd be fatalistic to say that you know there's no way for the Jazz to come out of this looking good. If you are able to move yourself away from the Clippers and Lakers until you absolutely have to play them, I think that is an unqualified win.
0: Well, Dan, we appreciate a few minutes. Thanks for checking in with us. And uh, Jazz fans can't, can't get enough of hearing about the Jazz. So thanks for all the opinions.
1: It's absolutely my pleasure. Thanks so much. And uh, enjoy it while, while you got it, guys. This doesn't come around very often.
0: Dan Devine, NBA writer for The Ringer. And you can uh, go in. The Ringer organizes everything by writer. So you can check out all the stuff he's written on the Jazz and the NBA. Western Conference contenders. Uh, Google him, and you can check it out. DJ and PK coming up next. Everything you missed in this show. Get up to speed on that, and if you've got any takes you want to share, grab your phone, use the app, use the open mic, and you can send off 15 seconds of audio to Yawk with your hot takes. We'll get to that coming up, too. Stay with us.
3: The Big Show show. with Jake Scott and Gordon Monson. In the second
0: half, the Lakers hugged the shooters, and Rudy Gobert and Derek Favors feasted, as well as guards who got into the lane, a la that beautiful dunk from Donovan Mitchell. Actually,
1: Donovan didn't
0: get as much lift on that as he usually does. You are your from Winnie the Pooh. Huge dunk, sports center, top 10. He didn't get the lift, Pooh. (laughs) Not much of a house. Don't get me wrong. Just right for not much of a donkey.
1: (laughs) The Jazz are playing great. I'm just saying that Donovan's dunk went in sideways.
0: I know they won 22-24, but most likely lose again anyway.
1: <laughs> Catch the Big Show
3: weekdays from 2 to 7. Presented by Big O' Tires, the team you trust. On 97.5, 1280 The Zone in the Zone Sports Network.
0: We're not letting COVID take another tournament away from us. it just, just, it can't happen. Um, and so, you know, I think as the season's gone on, we've got increasingly cautious, and uh, we'll continue to be increasingly cautious. And 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 we're super prayerful, and and we're super hopeful that 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 doesn't happen because these guys, you know, these guys have worked really, really hard and sacrificed an awful lot for each other. So we're going to continue to be careful. That's Mark Pope after BYU beats USF. Cougars now eighteen and five overall, nine and three in conference. They take down the Dons thanks to Alex Barcelo going seven of seven from three, a career high twenty nine points. The lucky number seven rearing its head again. PK
2: rearing, rearing it, its head. You know that for BYU basketball and BYU as a Latter Day Saints school. Mark Pope does not start one return missionary.
0: <gasps> you okay, yuck Just, you know. On behalf of BYU fans everywhere? Yeah.
2: It's interesting to see how that will go going forward.
0: How many of these teams are going to be built on the transfer window? Every one of them. He's two for two. First team was a mix. Transfer window and guys who've been in the program a long time. This this team is heavily transfer window. Now, does that just uh, you know a one year situation and all that, no, or no? No, it's gonna. The first one was the outlier because of what he inherited. Well, he
2: inherited the guys because
0: right, of what he inherited. Yeah.
2: And so, what did he have? One missionary start last year? Was it uh, Hawes? Uh, but that's interesting. Toolsen was a
3: return missionary too.
2: You sure about that?
3: Fairly certain, maybe not. Ooh, now he's wavering. I got him in the corner, DJ. Yeah,
0: <laughs> you got him off balance. <laughs> you gonna land. you gonna land a left cross and finish him off. Or you're just gonna keep jabbing.
2: <laughs> I, I think I made my statement, and I'll just uh, I'll let it uh, I'll let it rest. Uh, so interesting because it's you know there's a win now mentality. If I'm a BYU fan, I don't care. It doesn't make any difference. Because I always thought the missions uh, had a negative effect on BYU basketball. Occasionally, you can get a positive effect. I mean, like, so you can can team a Jackson Emery with a Jimmer. So you get a phenomenal defensive player and a phenomenal offensive player at the same time where they wouldn't have lined up that same last season if Jackson hadn't served a mission. And, and Hall certain. It's not like you can't be a good player, but just all the coming and going. It's clearly, that lone peak, multiple, more than five Sweet 16s blew up, and I think you have to contribute it to a degree anyway with kids coming and going on missions. And then Mika coming back and being older and wanting to leave and only playing a couple of years and all that stuff. So it would be interesting to see how it is going forward here, and if I'm a BYU fan, I couldn't care less. Just want to win within the within the rules, and that transfer portal is very very important. And I've always felt the transfer portal for BYU would be a great opportunity because you're bringing kids in, and some of them, not to to one degree or another, it's a foreign lifestyle, uh, but you don't have to live it that long, and a transfer kid is way more mature than an 18-year-old kid. And so he understands what he's getting himself into, and he's there to play ball and go to school, and he's not there to go crazy and do all all sorts of other stuff. So whatever the rules are, he's probably able to do it because he, he's, then he's going to go on. So to me, of all the teams out there, the transfer portal, and college basketball anyway, BYU, man, it just seems like it's just got its name written all over it and pope has done a great job in his staff of bringing in guys to to really help them win for sure i mean you look at averett here i mean i think the kid's gotten a lot better as the season has progressed and he seems way more comfortable and i think he's been a significant factor as to why they've been they've been pretty good here of late and i think his play as he's gotten more comfortable within the system and whatnot has been a big big deal and obviously he's a transfer
0: well, and it seems like that's going to be the trend, right? Because of whether it's your first year because you've transferred in, or even if you're coming back, do you have to get used to the other guys who are transferring in for the first year? You know, it might be your second or third year, but if you're starting and there's two other starters, or I don't know the way this is going, maybe I should say three other starters who are transferring in, there could still be a transition for you getting used to them. So that whole arc of getting better during the season, you'd You'd better be coachable and able to learn and improve because it's gonna be it seems like that's just gonna be demanded and be an automatic with this many players transferring in, especially this many starters.
2: Yeah, and then you get loner and obviously he's playing a lot better, but he's a freshman, so you would expect that. This kid's got star written all over him as far as I'm concerned. I mean he's got the NBA body and he and he's got bounce and and he knows how to rebound. Just watching him block out I enjoy. He he's got the fundamentals down. His shots coming around, and he's that was a great way to, uh, a great thing to get him. A, I don't want to say steal him away from Utah because a bunch of people will take that wrong, huh. uh, but to be able to get his services. I'll leave it at that because he looks like he's going to be a player. He's already a player, and obviously he's just going to do nothing but get better.
0: So can he land one guy like that every year, a high school guy who's a core guy who, you know, can be a, uh, a somewhere. Well, I think a loaner is better than a program guy, but the program guy Rose talked about. Or is it literally going to be four transfers a year? And some of them are one-year deals, which is what Harms is. Uh, you know, Barcelo a two-year guy. Um, but how much is it going to be these one- and two-year guys? And how much well, is it going to be guys who are in the program so there's a core? So you're adding to the core every year. Yeah. with talent, wherever you need it, as opposed to just building the thing from the ground up. And really, we can talk about this with Steve Cleveland, that's what J.C. coaches had to do and do off the radar. Uh, but that's what Steve had to do and Dave Rose had to do as J.C. coaches, and that's just, that's just the way it is. And it's different, but we all have to adapt to it because that's just going to be the way it is.
2: He's got core guys. Uh, Nell, Harding, uh, Johnson, Howard, those, those are core guys. Those are program guys. So he's got those guys there. So
0: are any of them going to develop into top two or three guys on the team?
2: Well, it depends on who. That's the thing about Mark Pope's teams is—you won't know who's on the team what the roster is set until we get into the summer.
0: Because I I can't
2: answer that right now because I don't know who he's going to bring in
0: next year. You've pretty much answered with a loner, though. He can be one of those guys. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. The question with him is: At what point is he going to want to go pro? You, I can recount a list of BYU guys. Who've gone pro, and I'll probably forget somebody. And some of them have crossed people up, and some have gone pro to go in Europe. It's not necessarily to go pro to go pro in the NBA. I mean, they have been those guys. Yeah. Um, you know, Tread Placed never ended up, you know, in the NBA, but you left early. Yeah, when he left, that was a blow. Everyone was counting on him coming back for another year, and you know, and being a critical piece
3: of the team. You got Elijah Bryant who left after his. Uh, Bryant's the other, the other guy, guy and yeah. Mika. I mean, there hadn't been yeah. a slew of them. Okay. But there's been some of them. I think uh, P.K.'s kind of got the point on it. I think Mark realizes he can meld these two worlds where he can recruit high school kids. He's got the Atiki Ali Atiki kid from uh, Ontario coming in as a... And that's
2: just a cool name to say. It is a great name to say. Say it
3: again. Atiki Ali Atiki from Tanzania.
2: Like, that seems like
3: a Disney a- movie, huh? Atiki Ali Atiki? uh
2: a la bi ali a Good
3: point. No, but I think he's melding these two worlds where he's got the high school yeah. talent, but he's also when he sees a issue, he's going to go to the transfer portal and, and plug that gap. Well, I think that, that
2: every year he's going he's to going see to an yeah, issue
3: absolutely. He'll he'll <laughs> he'll find one or two guys, no doubt, in the portal every okay, year. Okay, that, that, that I think handle. that's a question.
0: I know he's going to find one or two guys. I'm thinking more he's going to find four guys. Well, he
3: may have to in certain circumstances. Who knows?
2: Well, I don't know that you can bring in – it depends on what the the transfer is, how many years does he have. You bring in four guys with one year to play, that's nice, but then you're asking for danger trouble the year after. Uh, So it's like these programs. I think one of the deals with Arizona and its basketball program, and you really have no choice. If a stud wants to say he's going to come play for you, you're going to tell him no. But they've gotten into the deal with the one-and-dones, And I think that's hurt their program because when Lute Holson had it going on, uh, at least, like, I think Mike Bibby was a two-year player. But the the, And I have to double-check on that.
0: No, but But, you're right. There was a thing. There were a handful of schools. I think Arizona was in them where, like, we'll take the guys who are leaving early for the pros, but we don't want the one-and-dones. Give us a two-year, guys, a little continuity. Yeah. I mean, Arizona – you know, we followed you know because we know Pace and because you know know Nico since he was in elementary school. We were following that a lot closer. I certainly was following that a lot closer than I was following it most years. And if that group, not just Nico, but if that group had come back for a second year, you would think they would have worked some stuff out and ended up in a much better place. Of
3: course they would. But instead, no like that,
0: the like the chalk dust with LeBron before the game, poof, you know they scatter.
2: And it's not, that's not the first time. That's like no, the fifth time. You're right, yes. I, I mean, I've been following it closely for years. Yeah. I didn't well, follow Aiton. it any closer because of... Aiton uh, would be the guy everybody well, knows. Aaron Gordon. Mm-hmm. I mean, I can go on and on and on. It's it's it's. it's you followed it close because of the, your friend's yeah. son. But I didn't follow it any closer because... I mean, you're closer to pace than I am. I didn't follow it any closer. I've been following it close for years. Uh, so And that's been part of the problem why the program hasn't been... As good is because these kids are leaving, and and kids who don't. I mean, I know you're friends with them, but his son didn't appear exactly like it was overwhelmingly ready to go to the NBA.
0: Uh, but the but the one done still go. The one and done's are going, and that's part of the coach's fear in taking them. But it comes back to what you said. You want you you don't want to pass on an elite guy, so you take them. And, you know, if they're going to end up being a top-five pick, what are you going to do? You're going to wish them well and all that. But the fact is, if they fall to the end of the first round or the second round like Nico did, a lot of them are still going. They all are going. Yeah, so... Lou Dort didn't even get drafted. Yeah, <laughs> You're right. Lou Dort didn't get drafted. And who's the fool now? The teams who didn't draft him. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, Lou Dort's <laughs> carving out Certainly a nice place in the a, league. Certainly
2: worth a second-round pick.
0: Absolutely.
2: I don't think he's a high first-rounder. Yeah, but you could even
0: say eight. he's worth a late first-round pick. There's enough. could argue that. There's enough, argue enough late first-rounders yeah. who don't work out. There would have been so, somebody. I mean, somebody may have gotten a good player late in the first round, but somebody didn't and could have taken Lou Dort. So Pope has to
2: figure out and balance that, but I think he's made a commitment, and it'll be interesting to see where the missionaries fit in because right now they fit in on a secondary level in his program.
3: KPK, funny enough, I just got a text from somebody who's gotten in with that program who texted me and says, Yes, the transfer portal will be part of Mark Pope's existence at BYU for however long he's in Provo. For. Significantly. Yeah, significant. Yeah. So. Yeah, that's where is
0: the number one or is the number three? Is the number two or is the number four? But he's trying to win
2: today yeah. each and every season, and fine. That's what BYU fans want. But I think it could come at the expense of the development. Of missionaries will missionaries and Mark program Mark Pope's program be primary guys or will they be role players?
0: And we see this spreading across uh, all sports. We saw you saw the stuff about Utah football We're supposed to be getting the uh, the special teams guy Brandon K from, from Alabama.
2: Alabama, Alabama, just like Cooper Bateman was.
0: <laughs> two running backs, a couple quarterbacks, special teams guy.
2: Well, he'll be I think he's going to be more than a special teams yeah, guy. Yeah,
0: probably. Uh,
2: but yeah, he was a very good special teams player for for Alabama. Sure, why not? I mean, you're charged to win games, man, and your fans don't really care. So, I have zero problem with these guys doing this win game cuz kids are coming and going. Coaches have always come and gone. And now kids are coming and going. And more power to the kid. I don't have any problem with that either. They don't always work out. It's not always the best. But if that's what they think they should be doing, have at it, man. And you build that. I mean, they're going. I don't think the uh, Costelli kid is going to start at quarterback. I think it's either going to be Brewer or if Rising can get himself healthy, I think he's got a very good chance to compete. Hopefully he can get himself healthy. But we know he's not going to play spring ball so that's putting them behind the eight ball a little bit but the point being most likely next season they're going to have a transfer quarterback for the second year in a row
0: welcome to the new world order my well, at least a new college sports order
2: well yeah if it helps you win whatever whatever you got to do to win because everybody's in win now mode man
0: uh, we shared that story earlier today, man. Texas is throwing money at the football t- t- program. They are just bound and determined to get back on top of the Big 12 and then get to the playoff. and Thirty four point two million guaranteed for Sarkeesian. His assistant pool twenty one million. Top three assistants will all make one million or more annually.
3: Well, a cool. Fifty five million guaranteed.
2: Well, this is an unbelievable story when you think about it, because Sar- Sarkeesian has really just had an up and down deal, and as a head coach. Hasn't been big time. I mean, his records haven't been big time. Uh, and he goes to Alabama and, and resurrects himself as the coordinator. And he played a uh, coach a little bit in the NFL, And I think, uh, in between that, too. He did. So how is this going to play out? I think it's anything but assured, oh, man, this is a big-time hire. But I've never really felt that about any hire. You never really know about the hire. Uh, right now, the U of A says this has been getting lit up on this Fisher guy uh bringing him in i sort of it's the u of a so i'm conflicted but i sort of want to see him
0: succeed because (laughs) so many people have said he can't do it you want him to do it except you don't want u of a to win
2: (laughs) right it's the u of a although that with each time that that doesn't mean as much to me it does in the moment when they're playing each other in that very moment it does but overall, and I've often said, if the Devils win, I don't really care what the other team does. They could be eleven and one if we're twelve and zero. I'm jumping up and down. Great, good for them. Uh, and also the guys, he's a hardcore Jersey guy. I requested that we can get him on because I thought we could have fun with it because he went to the same high school as my sister.
0: Oh, nice. And, yeah, uh,
2: yeah. So I mean, he grew up in Livingston, which is not more than ten minutes away from where I grew up, and. Uh, they said, "Well, due to the high volume, uh, we'll put put it in uh, basically in the file." And I'm thinking, "What what the hell kind of high volume is there for the U of A football coach?"
0: <laughs> <laughs> All right, uh, we talked a lot about the Jazz and the Heat tonight. A game's at six o'clock. Pregame at five on the Zone. You'll hear that game on 97.5 The Zone. Scotty G is going to have the Aggies in Nevada on 12.80 The Zone. And that game starts at 7 with pregame at 6.30 for the Aggies. All right, DJ and PK, your feedback coming up next.
3: And it's all over
0: almost here. Don't go nowhere. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 at 12.80 The Zone. And it is time for your feedback. And Kevin tells us, in response to the question of the morning, Jazz closed out the first half of the four-game road trip. Is anything less than 4-0 disappointing, right? Well, Kevin says, if the Jazz go 0-4, they'll still have the best record going into the break. If the Jazz go into the break 0-4, we're going to have some people screaming on the radio. We're going to be dealing with some stressed-out fans, PK, and a lot of see-I-told-you-so stuff coming in, too.
2: Oh, yeah, especially then you have a week off. That would
0: absolutely suck. Three and one is fine. If we're demanding perfection all the time, we are gonna get disappointed. Jazz fan Dan Man sends that in. Three and one is fine. PK, are you willing to accept defeat?
2: It's not accepting defeat. It's dealing with it. I never accept defeat. No, but some uh, the way there's a winner and loser in every game, so I'm over defeat. What I mean by that is don't lay down. I thought the Utes laid down against the Bruins yesterday. That bothers me. I mean, there was one, the dude with the bun, I think his name is Tinney, and he's getting like three, four offensive rebounds on one single possession. That bothers me. So there's all sorts of ways to look at games. The Clipper loss really didn't bother me. Doesn't mean I accept it but it didn't bother me because there's going to be that, especially in this league. This isn't the postseason. You've got all sorts of games coming up. These guys know this, man. you got to move on and, and get ready for the next one, and, and they did. I thought maybe they came out a little sluggish against Charlotte, but obviously they turned it on. So um, you can lose, but it doesn't mean you accept defeat.
0: Trevor says, I mean, at this point, any loss the rest of the season is a disappointment. <laughs>
2: Uh, on a general scale, yes, yes. but I got to look deeper
0: than that. Right, thirty game win streaks? Come on, be more than that at this point. I, I,
2: no, but on. I think yeah, you 40 can forty game
0: win streaks. You can you can season.
2: put that on anybody, though. Is it the Lakers? Any loss is disappointing. Yeah. Uh, if you if you consider yourself a good team, any loss can be disappointing. I, I, I don't I don't right. think that that means you're expecting to win every. But game. if you're
0: still winning. Uh, 10 out of 11 like the Jazz have been doing. Go ahead and be disappointed twice, but then you got to go bigger picture and think this is awesome.
2: And I was disappointed in Denver, but I wasn't that disappointed in the Clippers.
0: Jason says I'm excited for the Philly game. I want to see both teams playing all their guys. Yeah. I could see the Jazz lose, but I hope it's a hell of a game. Anything less than 3 and 1 on this trip would be disappointing.
2: And the great thing about that is that you can go full steam because you got a week off.
0: Yeah, right? They just put everything into it.
2: Yeah.
3: Empty the tank, as Kalani Satake likes to say. Yeah, yeah.
2: I think I, I really think you can because you know you're going to scatter. I don't know where guys are going, if they're just staying close to home or whatever. They're going to be, depending on where you are. You know? Yeah,
0: but if Donovan's in Philly and he goes to New York because his mom and sister are there, that's well, not a going big to surprise. Well, he's going to Atlanta. Oh, you're right. He's going to Atlanta for the game. Hello. Yeah. I was going to say, there's <laughs> a certain <laughs> destination he's going yeah, to. Right. I wasn't talking about Joe him. Back, Joe talking back to Utah. Somebody
2: like Conley. Who has a is right. stationed in Ohio?
0: Yeah. Uh, finally, uh, bearded mangus. I demand perfection, just like you and PK. Bringing perfection every day.
2: Well, well, you strive to do your best. That's for sure. In all sincerity, I think that's the goal.
0: Not quite perfection, bearded mangus, but we'll take it. Thank you. Yeah, I don't know that I've ever had it. Well, I just forgot that Mitchell was going to Atlanta for the All Star Game. You know, just to pick a recent <laughs> example, didn't exactly nail that, did I? <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, you know, he can go to New York on Thursday. He could and Friday, and then go. Nice actually, save.
2: Actually, I thought that's what you meant.
0: Yeah, uh, it was PK. It was absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> that's what
2: I meant. Well, what he could do is go to New York on the
3: back end of it.
0: Yeah, the Jazz. The game will be Sunday. Jazz don't play again until Friday, it's a, right? It's a one-day
3: event, so yeah. yeah, you could skedaddle yeah. right after the game. So
0: go to New York, go to Atlanta, go back to New York, and get back to Utah for whatever Wednesday night practice or whatever the rules yeah. are and when they can when they can work out again.
2: And I assume he's going to private jet it, so yeah.
0: there'll be time. And as George Niang pointed out, well, no matter what else I do, I'll, I'll probably be getting tested a couple times a day. That's important, man. Don't, Absolutely. Don't blow it now. Well, you know, I think the thing is that, um, you know, if we've learned anything, it's probably a segment for another show, not 9.59 on a Friday, but, you know, for all the shutdown and all the open up and do your thing, you know, there's this narrow lane to shoot. You can do it, but you've got to have a plan, and you've got to execute it, and you can't cut corners. And that's what we've seen with the NFL and the NBA. They've been able to pull this off, but you really got to have a detailed plan, and then you've got to execute it. And Joe, is, Joe Ingles has told us there's a lot of rules. A lot of roles. All right, we're out of time. Hans and Scotty are up next. We'll see you Sunday night on of Sports.